Welcome back to the final edition of Down to the Wire. Uh, here we are recapping the Stanley Cup Finals. But before we get to that, uh, let me introduce my co-host, uh, Nolan Thode. Again, thank you uh, for joining me on Down to the Wire this season. No, it's always great, Pags. And, you know, we've we've had a nice little thing going this year. You know, er- earlier in the PagCast, we would have, you know, one or two off episodes here just, you know, chatting, talking about hockey. But, you know, this year is nice for us to actually kind of have a specific segment where we could, you know, run down everything because I think you and I both are, you know, huge fans of the league. Yeah, I know, and I agree, and I guess let's just get right to the news. We are not sure if we'll continue this uh, next season, given that, you know, we're both off to university, um, and we don't know about our commitments there. I personally already have a uh, commitment. I'm the I'm going to be the Carlton Ravens, uh, yep, hat here, uh, Carlton Ravens sports beat writer, so, you, you know, I'll be sharing my links to stories that I write covering hockey. Maybe I'll cover basketball. I'm definitely covering football. I'll try and sprinkle in basketball, but I'm not the most knowledgeable there. But um, yeah, uh, we don't know if uh, this is going to, if Down to the Wire is going to continue next season. So on behalf of me, on behalf of Nolan, I just want to say thank you uh, for him joining me. Thank you for everyone tuning in. Thank you, Zach Hogan, for his uh, weekly power rankings of the North Division. Those were always fun to debate about. But yeah, I just uh, want to thank everyone uh, before we started this episode. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on all that. I think it was just, you know, a, a great season. And, you know, we're both in grade 12 moving on to different different paths. And, you know, things happen, people get busy, but, you know, it was great while it lasted, you know, smile that it ha- don't be sad that it's over smile that it happened. Well, let's get right into our Stanley Cup final recap. And then at the end of uh, our episode, we're going to do some offseason rumors that have been going on. So the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Montreal Canadiens in five games. Uh, Tampa did win in four or four to one. Um, But, you know, I think this series kind of went the way that we expected it it to go. You know, Montreal's offense was never really there. They scored five goals in, or sorry, uh, I think eight goals in five games. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky was never really tested if you look at where the shots came from their shot locations it came from you know outside the circles uh, i think montreal had a hard time getting bodies in front of the net um and you know i think that i uh, this you know everyone's gonna headline like the drew in for sergachev trade now we look back at it uh sergachev now has two cups drew in had to take the playoffs and you know a bit of the regular season off due to uh his own personal reasons and you just have to wonder what the Montreal Canadiens offense could have done if Druin had played. You know, I know that he struggled in the regular season, but maybe that, you know, maybe knowing that it's playoffs, like, you know, Justin Williams, for example, he's known as games, Mr. Game 7, specifically because, he you know, you know, he has the experience. He comes to play when it's a Game 7. So, you know, with that being said, we don't know what Druin could have done. Yeah, you know, I, I think Druin, you know, the skill, the talent, it's always been there. You know, there, there's no questioning that Jonathan Druin is a, you know, is, a, is an NHL player just based off of his skill alone. And I think it would have been nice to see him in these playoffs. You know, that's what I was thinking each and every round, you know, that Montreal moved on, you know, what what would be happening if Druin was with the team? And I think, you know, especially in the Stanley Cup finals against Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, the team that kind of you know, discredited him, you know, they obviously traded him for Sergeyev, so they, they got something out of him. But uh, I, I think, you know, it, it would have pushed him a little more against his former team and the guys that kind of gave up on him to, you know, perform in the Stanley Cup finals, especially for, you know, his hometown, you know, he, he, he's passionate playing for the Montreal Canadiens. 
And, you know, another player that, you know, isn't really known, he's, it's kind of the opposite now, we're going the opposite direction, but Thomas Tatar, he's known as a possession analytic god, uh, that's all I see on Twitter, but like, if you look at his playoff stats, he's not really known as someone who comes to play in the playoffs, you know, we look at Vegas, when they made the playoffs, they scratched him. And the same thing happened with Montreal. So it seems as though Thomas Tatar is on his way out. Jonathan Drouin's on his way out. Um, and, you know, it, it just, it, like, as a Habs fan myself, this, this team is going to be, uh, you know, memorable for many reasons. And I simply – and, you know, the main reason that I think of, and actually I saw this on Twitter, is because, you know, with the pandemic going on and all the – uh, tough times that we've had, whether it's mentally, whether, you know, you've had a family member uh, pass away due to the coronavirus and you're a Habs fan. And, you know, the Montreal Canadiens were always there for us. Hockey was always there for us to uh, be an escape, you know, and I think as a fan that brought us closer to the players in a sense. Um, but, you know, it just, it really sucks the way it ended and how, you know, Montreal never really seemed to put up a fight and had the Islanders win in game seven, I would, if I'm a betting man, I would have bet a lot of money saying that this, you know, Islanders have series would have been a better, more competitive series than Tampa Bay and Montreal. I have to agree with you right there. I, I think, you know, obviously at, at the end of the season, we can look at this Tampa Bay team. They were the best team in the regular season. You know, they, they didn't have Kucherov and they missed Stamkos for half of it. And they were still able to be third in that central division and, you know, really close within it. Not like they were just third place. And in the, once the playoffs started, they kind of just proved that they were the best team in each and every round. And I think the cup was theirs, you know, at, at the start of the playoffs, I felt like they were going to go back to back. It, it just really did feel like that. And had the Islanders been able to, you know, defeat them in that game seven, they were that close. It was a one nothing game. Uh, you know, it, it would be a completely different cup final. And I think the matchup between Montreal and New York is much different than Tampa and Montreal. And, you know, one thing that I, I, I should mention is that like, I thought, you know, I, I don't really like Ducharme's player management. I think that's correct. Uh, you know, we laugh at his decision to scratch Ro Romanov or Romanov. Uh, you know, he plays two games prior to scoring his first cup uh, finals goal. Uh, so that looked like a brilliant decision. And I think that if, uh, you know, Romanov and Kulak played the entire Stanley Cup finals, it may have been differently because, you know, in game four of the finals, Montreal, you know, may not have played their best game, but looking at that bottom pairing of Romanov and Kulak, you know, you could play them consistently. And I felt confident, you know, I felt more confident in them playing rather than a Merrill and Gustafson pairing. And, you know, with Bouchard leaving, Joel Bouchard leaving for Anaheim, I was so high on Bouchard. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Ducharme because he scratched Caulfield and Kakenyemi for, you know, the first couple games of the playoffs. Caulfield sat out two, Kakenyemi sat out one. And then you see Kakenyemi sit out another one and, you know, it's really disappointing to see, you know, a third overall pick, someone who you want to groom into a top centerman in the league, and he's not getting uh, the chances. Yeah, it's super strange for me. And his performance in the Stanley Cup Finals, say what you want about it. But I think, you know, just what he did all playoffs definitely deserved a spot in the lineup, no matter what happened. I think, you know, Kakanyemi brought to the ice what a lot of you know, Montreal's other forwards couldn't. And I think, you know, we saw that in the Leaf series, he scored the game winner in game six. And I think, you know, early in that series too, when it looked like it was all Toronto, when they finally put Caulfield and Kakanyemi in the lineup, 
you know, it seemed like everything shifted and it was, it was surprising to see them, you know, go away from that when the young guys were reliable for them. And it's crazy how it took so long for Romanov to get into the lineup. And, you know, when he did, he was an impact player. You know, when I watched him, I thought he was one of the better players on Montreal's team. And, you know, let's, let's go back to the bubble playoffs here, uh, Montreal and Philadelphia, or even Montreal Pittsburgh. When the young kids take control of the game, you're going to have success. I mean, look at Ottawa. They played a bunch of their rookies this year, and they had tremendous success near the end of the regular season, finishing 7-3-1 or something, you know, astronomically different than what they did at the start of the uh, season. So I think that the success factor comes when you play uh, your young guns, and I'm not surprised that Montreal saw success when they started playing Caulfield and Kakenyemi and Suzuki. And, you know, it's it, I'm very interested to see how this deep playoff run makes these players develop. No, hundred percent. I think, you know, even though they didn't win the cup, there's a lot to take away from this cup run for the young guys like Caulfield Suzuki and, you know, the rest of their careers are going to be built on, you know, building on this and seeing how they can get back to the cup finals and potentially win it. Obviously guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber aren't going to be there when, you know, the team is ready to go down and compete again, unless there's another incredible cup run from them in the next you know, four or five years. But I think, you know, the experience that they take away from this is, is mighty important. And, you know, Ducharme in his styles a little bit, maybe he relies on the veteran and just kind of trusts him a little more. Uh, but I do think, you know, th there's nothing wrong with just letting the young guys play. And as you mentioned with Ottawa, at the end of the regular season, things seem to be clicking and they're going to be an exciting team coming into next season. And, you know, I think that one... I uh, one play that was really series changing was the Blake Coleman goal. You know, we go back to game two. Uh, it's at the end of the second period. You're tied one, one. And all you have to do, whether it's Deneau not chipping the puck in deep or Sherratt stepping up on the bouncing puck on Goudreau. Uh, all you had to do was just play a little bit defensive. And next thing you know, it's in the back of your net with a 0 0.5 with literally no time on the clock left. I felt as though that shifted the series in favor of Tampa uh, because, you know, you go into the intermission down or tied one, one, and that's a completely, you know, different game than, you know, going down two one. And with the record being what it is, you know, Montreal didn't have success this entire season being a comeback team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that was a big turning point. You know, the game one in the series kind of got out of the hands of Montreal and, Tampa, you know, they won it pretty handily. I think what it was a five, one, the final five score, one, game five one. one, yeah. And then game two, it seemed like they started to bring it. They were out playing Tampa, you know, outworking them in the corners a little bit. And Carey price was standing on top of his head and, you know, you need that to win the game. And had they been able to squeak out that game game two and had it been a one, one series, you know, heading back to Montreal with a series tied versus being down, you know, Oh, two, it's, it's completely different. And I, I think that, that, Coleman goal kind of drained the Montreal Canadiens and we kind of didn't see the same Habs team from the first two periods that we did in the third. And I think that, you know, Carey Price wasn't, you know, himself, although the Canadians didn't play, you know, terrific in front of him, the standard he set for the first three rounds, you know, it just didn't, it seemed to me watching the game, like he would save shots or he would let in goals that he would have normally saved. I mean, look at game three and Victor Hedman shot from the point. Like, I think that power play goal would have been saved if it was in the Toronto, Winnipeg, or Vegas series. 
No, I agree. You know, Carey Price had an incredible playoff run, but, you know, there's only so far you can go with your goalie carrying you. The team actually needs to, you know, win some games. And I think to this point, Carey Price is the sole reason that, you know, Montreal even made it this far. So to discredit anything that he did up to this point, just because of his cup final performance, you know, I, I got to dis- disagree with, you know, anybody who thinks that way. And then let's get into the, uh, we had some, uh, you know, some post-game celebration, whether it's Nikita Kucherov's comments about the Montreal Canadiens fan base or John Cooper's, uh, you know, comments about uh, just standing there and chewing gum. Like, I thought that was a legendary quote in itself. But, uh, you know, a lot of, Kucherov took a lot of heat for uh, his comments saying like, oh yeah, look at the Canadiens fans. They celebrated game four, like they won the final. I don't want to go back to Montreal. Uh, but, you know, I think that the NHL and, you know, I thought it was, I thought like, at first I was enraged, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, look at this classless player. But then I like, all right, so decompress, take it from a different point of view. And from the entertainment perspective, that's cash money. I mean, look, Kucherov just signed a deal with Bud Light. Um, so I think that I, you know, with the NHL, they need to get rid of the suit and tie, I uh, thing your dress code and let the nhl be more like the nba show off your personality you know fashion nowadays is or clothing nowadays is such a big statement for players to show off their uh, personality it's not as though you need to show it off in a press conference no i agree and i think you know the nhl one way they can completely market you know their league is with these you know rivalries with these press conferences and now that espn is about to take over i feel like they're going to take these sound bites and you know blow them up put them all over their socials and you know kind of force feed the nhl down people's throats and i think that's a good thing just because you know expanding the game a, a huge place to start and build on is you know rivalries within the league if it's a new league and there's not really many rivalries it's hard to market it but the nhl has been around for you know a very long time and there's there's some heated rivalries and i think you know they got to capitalize on that and I, I agree with your point as well just in terms of the dress code i think everything needs to be a little more relaxed and i feel like especially with this espn deal we could be seeing you know a different age of the nhl and i'm excited to see you know what comes from it Okay, that was just my dog moving up rapidly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, but I guess one last point here on the finals. I, we, you know, although it was interdivisional, I, it was fun seeing, I, you know, Montreal play against Tampa in over a year or Montreal playing against Vegas in over a year. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to get back to the 82-game regular season. I'm very excited to see what Cole Caulfield can do because obviously he's going to be a Calder nominee right off the bat. No, I think so. And I think that that's what you got to be looking forward to if you're a Canadians fan for next season. Cole Caulfield uh, was, you know, great in these playoffs. Say what you want about him. You know, he, he looked fairly comfortable out on the ice, especially in the offensive zone. And if he's going to be put in successful opportunities on the top power play, playing with guys like, you know, Toffoli, Anderson, Suzuki, I think, you know, a good rookie season from him, especially in 82 games, I think, you know, it's going to start to feel a lot more normal once we get back to 82. We haven't had 82 games since the 2018, 2019 season. And I think, you know, as fans of the league, we're just excited to see that normality finally, you know, stick. Well, let's get right back, or let's get into the rumors, I, I guess we should say. Uh, you know, Victor Arvidsson uh, from Nashville got traded to Los Angeles. This came as kind of an odd trade, in my opinion, but the LA Kings acquired Arvidsson in exchange for a 2021 second-round pick and a 2022 third-round pick. 
Uh, the Kings should be in for a interesting offseason. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors saying that Tarasenko is going to go to L.A. Uh, there's a lot of rumors saying Eichel is going to go to L.A. Uh, you know, L.A. has a terrific farm system and they can sell off a lot of their prospects if they want to go into a kind of mini win now, uh, you know, kind of window with uh, Dowdy and Quick kind of getting older by the season. Yeah, I agree. I think this trade kind of is the, you know, you know, little teaser to what these off seasons could look like for both uh, Nashville and LA, you know, Nashville kind of came as a surprise, you know, maybe for them not to ship off a piece, uh, but especially Victor Arvidsson, I thought, you know, he's on a solid, you know, team friendly contract and he's kind of just been the heart and soul kind of guy on that team. So for him to leave for just a second and a third, I think it's a great trade for LA. They're getting a good guy in their locker room and, you know, they could start to, like you said, try to bring in more pieces. Tarasenko's on the trade block. Uh, you know, they, they've got some money to spend in free agency as well. Uh, and then, you know, you look at Nashville, is this, you know, the first of the dominoes is, you know, Victor Arvidsson going to go and then, you know, Pecorine retires and then you trade guys like potentially Philip Forsberg on the market. Who goes to Seattle? I think we could be seeing a very different Nashville team comes the start of the next season. And, you know, I think speaking on that Seattle perspective and, you know, kind of just the cap space, uh, you've been talking about, I think that the Temple Bay Lightning, they're going to be the, you know, the same impact team, but they're going to lose like impact players. Like I don't see Goudreau or Coleman or Pat Maroon uh, resigning, uh, you know, but Temple Bay is still going to be dominant. And I'm just interested to see uh, how these different teams, uh, you know, maneuver their way around uh, Seattle, whether they do trades to keep players or whether they, you know, let players walk. It's going to be, I think this off season is going to be one of the more exciting off seasons in recent memory. No, I, I have to agree with you with the expansion draft and just, you know, all these rumors floating around on these big name players. I think it's going to be super interesting. And then you look at the Stanley cup champions with Tampa, you know, they've been able to you know, trade for some pretty good contracts, you know, Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau were on some pretty good contracts and people forget Tampa Bay did have to give up a lot of assets, you know, Barclay Goudreau was traded for a first round pick. Uh, so, you know, they're not going to have those guys and they're going to still have the core of, you know, Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, uh, Hedman, Vasilevsky and guys like that. But, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what kind of team they can put around them after they, you know, lose some of their $18 million in cap space. Seth Jones to the Philadelphia Flyers is reportedly a no-go for right now. Uh, there have been rumors swirling around Seth Jones's uh, availability to Columbus. He's let them know that he's not going to uh, play for them next season. And, you know, Columbus, is, or he has one year left, but Columbus is trying their hardest to move that contract uh, before next season starts. Um, and, you know, Philadelphia is one of those teams where they, you know, it, it just came out yesterday. I think that Jacob Voracek is going to be exposed and they're going to look for a trade. So maybe, uh, Voracek would have been in that trade for Seth Jones, like salary cap wise, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, you know, in the early goings of the Seth Jones trade saga, uh, Philadelphia was a heavily rumored team that he was going to go to. Yeah, I think it sucks for Columbus because Seth Jones already coming up publicly saying that he doesn't want to resign in Columbus makes a lot of GMs think, all right, well, he's going to be in free agency next year. And, you know, the longer and longer, you know, they take to not trade him, I feel like the, the lower his value gets because those GMs just think, you know, they'll trust the fact that they can approach him in free agency. However, you know, right now, 
he's still got a year left. You're going to get that year out of him and potentially have a year to rework a contract. I feel like his trade value is as high as it's going to be right now. And, you know, it, it sucks for them not being able to get that Philly deal. And I feel like, you know, he would have been a nice fit in Philadelphia, uh, you know, would have been able to log a lot of big minutes and uh, play it, whether it be alongside Provorov or someone else like that. But I feel like, you know, Philadelphia has a small window uh, currently just with, you know, the declining of, you know, Giroux and guys like that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they build moving forward and, you know, what they choose to do. Uh, you know, Vorchek potentially leaving, I feel like is a, uh, is a big blow um, just because he's been such a part of their team over the last 10 years. And as we move on with the rumors, uh, you know, Darren Drager reported that the Toronto Maple Leafs have interest in Taylor Hall. Uh, it seems as though that uh, Zach Hyman is not going to resign with the Maple Leafs. So maybe they'll use that money. Uh, they can save with Hyman leaving and spend it on Hall and Freddie Anderson. Uh, you know, with the goaltending situation in Toronto, I think they have to resign Anderson. It's a crazy out of this world thought to believe that uh, Jack Campbell is going to have the same season he did uh, this year, uh, you know, and replicate it for next season. I think that's just out of this world and, you know, can't, won't, won't happen. Yeah, you know, over 82 games, we've never seen Jack Campbell be that starter, you know, in, in this 56 game season, he was incredible. And, you know, all the credit goes to him. But, you know, you can't just be predicting that it's going to stay that way. And I think the Leafs definitely need to address the goaltending situation and, you know, have another, you know, 1A, 1B guy to play with him. And, you know, Freddie didn't have a great season. So potentially that could lead to him taking more of a team friendly, you know, less money kind of deal. And I think that would be good for both sides. Uh, and, you know, touching on, you know, Taylor Hall, the interest with him, I think, you know, that's probably not what the Leafs need to be looking at. Uh, just, I feel like they have a decently solid core right now. And I feel like building more within the depth rather than upfront uh, Taylor Hall is just, you know, another, guy who can you know play super well but you know how responsible is he defensively and you know losing Hyman as well is going to be a big blow just because he's one of those guys that does everything for the Leafs so losing him is going to be pretty bad. Corey Perry said in his end of season uh, media availability that he is open to a return with the Montreal Canadiens stating that he wants to you know feel the real atmosphere of the of what Montreal means to uh, the city uh, what Montreal means to, you know, different players. And I would love to have Corey Perry back on the team. You know, if he signs for 750 or not, or even 900 K, he is certainly worth it uh, for what he brought in the regular season. And a lot of people, you know, kind of forget that even with Alex Nadelkovich, like Alex Nadelkovich was on waivers at one point during the season. And Corey Perry, I think was on waivers and then on the taxi squad. And once Corey Perry solidified himself within the Habs lineup, he wasn't taking out. He wasn't taken out. Yeah, I think Corey Perry would be a big piece to bring back for the Canadians. Not only was he a huge part of this cup run, but, you know, just a good leader in the locker room. Say what you want about his on ice antics. I just feel like, you know, he's a guy to look up to. And with a with a budding young core, that's a kind of guy you want in the locker room, you know, leading the way for him. And he's going to come pretty cheap. You know, he's been signing one year deals since he got bought out, I believe, by Anaheim. I don't know if Anaheim bought him out or traded him, but He's just going to be, you know, signing these one-year deals until, you know, he eventually retires. But I think, you know, him being in Montreal next season is, you know, uh, definitely a real possibility. And we talk about veterans and Duncan Keith uh, has been in rumors with the Edmonton Oilers because, uh, you know, I guess a couple of weeks ago it was reported that he wants to stay in Western Canada with his family. But the Oilers don't make 
that much sense to me because they have Bouchard coming up. They have William Logison coming up. They already have a, you know, they have Nurse Bear Larson there. I just don't see the fit between Duncan Keith and how, you know, he hasn't really been his, you know, the old himself, you know, he's aging. He hasn't been really good these past couple of years. Uh, and I just don't see how Keith can improve the Oilers. No, I have to agree with you there. And I think, you know, in my head as an Oilers fan, the only thing that really makes sense is in a trade that potentially can move some cap, just, you know, teams looking to move maybe a bad contract and Duncan Keith, you know, when he first signed that contract was absolutely worth it, but you know, he's just not the same Duncan Keith anymore. Uh, potentially if the Oilers could unload like a James Neal or a Miko Koskinen to Chicago, then I could see, you know, reason for this trade being there. Uh, but, you know, like you said, with the Oilers defensive depth, I just don't know where Duncan Keith, you know, I don't know how he makes this team that much better, especially if we're giving up assets. You know, it was reportedly, you know, Stan Bowman was asking for an Ethan Bear or Ryan McLeod kind of piece. And those are just, you know, two really important parts of the Oilers young core. So, you know, if, you know, Ken Holland does pull the trigger on something, I'm going to be super scared to see what the Oilers return is. And the final thing we're going to talk about that we need to address is the whole thing, the whole controversy with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, you know, it just came out a couple of days ago that they are, you know, in motion to dismiss lawsuit sexual allegations made against uh, their former video coach, Brad Aldrich, back in 2013, I believe. Um, and the whole situation is that, uh, you know, it was during, uh, it was either 2010 or 2013, mistake me if I'm wrong, but um Brad Aldrich was uh, giving, you know, sexual favors to players or something like that. And, um, you know, it, it was during one of their cup runs. And now there's allegations coming out because a victim uh, came out and spoke out against him. Uh, but the Blackhawks front office knew that this was going on, but didn't report it to the police. So that's why they're in, you know, murky waters right now. And it's certainly not a good situation. No, I have to agree with you. And, you know, last year there was kind of a renaissance. I feel like, uh, you know, once Mike Babcock got fired, I feel like a lot of stuff started to come out and, you know, these, these, these coaches started to get exposed for, you know, their ways and things that they had done. Uh, the, the Calgary coach lost his job last year, a couple of assistant coaches here or there. Uh, I think it's just crazy that, you know, something like this can just, you know, be slid under the rug for so long. And, you know, when it does resurface, you know, it, it's not blown up to the point where it needs to be. I feel like, you know, in, in the current age, 2021, I'm surprised that, you know, people aren't making a bigger deal of this just because, you know, there's absolutely no room for, you know, stuff like this in, in, in any kind of locker room, whether, you know, be in a sports locker room or, you know, be in the workplace. I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of, you know, the world that, you know, that shouldn't, shouldn't have to, shouldn't shouldn't exist and when it does you know we should bring it to the forefront and you know hold people accountable for for their actions and it's just weird to me that uh going off your point on just the whole coverage of it you know there's only a handful of reporters because i look you go to my twitter account my main twitter account and i follow over a thousand uh you know reporters whether that's baseball nfl or hockey and there's only a handful of reporters doing coverage on this and i find that quite embarrassing and quite you know sad that it's not at the forefront of this issue you know and we need to we need to bring this uh to light and you know katie strang of the athletic uh, i think that's how you pronounce her last name she asked mark bergevin during one of his press conferences i think it was before the playoffs i'm not too sure but uh, she asked if Burge knew 
of the incidents and uh, Bergevin was was implemented, uh, was in the Blackhawks organization when this did happen. And, um, you know, Bergevin did say that he had no uh, recollection of memory, whether that's to cover himself up, whether that's to, you know, save someone else, I don't know. But I find it very disgusting that Stan Bowman is going to make uh, draft picks in the coming weeks. He's going to announce uh, his list. It just everything right now is, is so odd and terrifying and, and just brutal. Like you don't want a workplace to have someone like Brad in it. No, I agree. And, you know, maybe maybe you look at the current state of the NHL just went through the playoffs. So maybe there was, you know, something to kind of distract you know, most of the hockey world, people were just focused on on the playoffs more than this. But now that it's the off season, you know, this is a development that I'm going to be keeping up with. And, you know, I think you and I both are, you know, in favor of just, you know, holding this guy accountable. And, you know, for it to just kind of saying that they're going to dismiss anything is is really discouraging to me. And just, the, you know, victims all around the world who have to deal with this kind of stuff, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe it's just one minor victory holding him accountable, but you know, it's a victory for everyone who has to go through that, you know, sort of thing. Well, that uh, concludes our last, I mean, unless if you have any final words about the Brad Eldrick situation, I certainly don't. Nope. Okay. Uh, well, that concludes our last segment of down to the wire, whether we continue this in university or not. I'd like to thank everyone that uh, made this a fun ride, whether it's following uh, the NHL, writing down notes, uh, bringing you on, having Zach Hogan do his weekly power rankings. It certainly was a fun ride. So thank you again, Nolan, for joining me on Down to the Wire. It's been a pleasure, Pags.